I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading 1 Kings chapters 20 and 21. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In 1 Kings chapter 20, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, flexes his muscles. Verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes they will put in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, that he said to his servants, Get ready, and they got ready to attack the city. Well, here we see that Ben-Hadad, along with 32 vassal kings, besiege Ahab's capital, Samaria. He then sends messengers to extort Ahab's valuables, his wives, children, silver, gold, and so forth. At first, Ahab expresses his intent to be compliant with Ben-Hadad's demand when he says in verse 4, I and all that I have are yours. Ben-Hadad's messengers come a second time, this time demanding that Ahab allow them to search the premises and take with them whatever is pleasant in your eyes, it says. When Ahab recognizes the extent to which Ben-Hadad plans to bankrupt him, well, he sends a rather meek message back to Ben-Hadad, respectfully declining to comply with this most recent demand, this, of course, after a meeting with his cabinet. Big old bully Ben-Hadad sends a royal message of intimidation when he says in verse 10, The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. In other words, when we're finished with you, there won't be enough left of Samaria to provide a handful of dust for my soldiers as they leave. Ahab replies through the messengers back to Ben-Hadad, and he says, 
Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Now, that's the equivalent of talk is cheap. Show me what you got. Okay, the stage is set for the war between Syria and Israel. Incidentally, Ben-Hadad was the name of a dynasty of kings of Syria. The Hebrew name Ben means son. Therefore, Ben-Hadad means son of Hadad. King Asa of Judah had enlisted the help of his father, also named Ben-Hadad, back in 1 Kings chapter 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 16. He'd done so to assist him in defeating King Baasha of Israel. But sometimes only war will do, and here's round one found in 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 13 to 21. Verse 13. Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, By the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, Who will set the battle in order? And he answered, You. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were two hundred and thirty-two, and after them he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, seven thousand. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the thirty-two kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young elders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. They told him, saying, Men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, If they've come out for peace, take them alive. And if they've come out for war, take them alive. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his men, so the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Well, this story is a bit of a puzzler. Ahab was a very wicked king. I mean, record-setting wickedness. Yet, he received some assistance from a prophet of God in this passage. Israel makes a preemptive strike on Syria. As rotten as Ahab was, God spoke to him through an unnamed prophet and told him that he would prevail. Why? Well, to prove the power of the one true God. When Ahab's meager army of 7,000 men shows up outside the city where Ben-Hadad and his men are camped, drunken Ben-Hadad thinks that perhaps this small contingent from Ahab has come in peace. Yet, as Ben-Hadad's men approach, they're all slaughtered as they flee. Ben-Hadad, he manages to escape. Now, you may wonder how it was that Ahab was only able to muster an army of 7,000 men. It was only 50 or so years before that King Jeroboam had lost 500,000 men in his battle against Judah's king Abijam, also known as Abijah. That was back in Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 17. Now, that would have left a lot of widows in Israel back then. It takes a few generations to recover from a big loss of life like that. In 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 22 through 30, we have round 2 where Syria clashes once again with Israel. Verse 22. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year the king of Syria will come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. 
and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city, into an inner chamber. Well, Ben-Hadad prepares for war again the following year, but Ahab's unnamed prophet told him to expect it. However, with his meager army, Ahab prevails against the 127,000-plus troops of King Ben-Hadad of Syria, and he does this a second time. Look at the statement in verse 27 regarding how lopsided the fighting forces were. It says, The children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. How had Israel prevailed against Ben-Hadad's massive army? Well, verses 23 through 25 seem to indicate that Ben-Hadad's war cabinet was not made up of the brightest people. They had determined that Israel's gods, their words, were hill specialist, and Syria's gods were plains specialist. This second round of warfare must be fought in an open field, they conjectured. Oh, one more thing. Those kings that led the troops the first time, they didn't know what they were doing. The second time, they put captains in their places. Boom! Same result, total defeat. After a loss of a 100,000 men, Ben-Hadad flees to the nearby northern Israeli city of Aphek. But the city's wall, it falls in on them killing another 27,000. And that's why I said they had 127,000 plus troops earlier. And then Ben-Hadad is surrounded. So what are we going to do? Verses 31 to 34, with Ben-Hadad surrounded. Verse 31, Then his servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads, and go out to the king of Israel, perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist, and put ropes around their heads, and came to the king of Israel, and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at this word, and said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Can you believe the big bully king Ben-Hadad 
he flexed his muscles before the war, he's now pleading for his life. What a yellow-bellied coward. And then what about Ahab? Ben-Hadad had threatened to plunder everything Ahab treasured. And Ahab lets him go and even makes a covenant with him. Can you believe that? Incredible. However, Ben-Hadad is not home free quite yet. And now we begin reading verse 35 of 1 Kings chapter 20. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man, if by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased, and came to Samaria. Well, this prophet, apparently a different guy than before, he asks a neighbor to injure him so that he can fake a battle injury. After the neighbor refuses, he's eaten by a lion, as the prophet had prophesied for his refusal. A second man complies with the prophet's request, and he injures the prophet, and thus the prophet fakes a battle injury to get the king's attention as he passes by. Upon Ahab's arrival to the scene, the prophet spins a scenario, it's a lie, really, of having lost a Syrian prisoner charged to his custody. When Ahab decrees that he should be punished for his negligence, the prophet blasts him with the word from God. Here's the bad news, Ahab. You should not have let Ben-Hadad snooker you into letting him leave in peace, and it's going to cost you your life. Sometimes you just can't win for losing. True, when you disobey God. Actually, Ahab had no right to spare the life of a king whom he had not defeated. Only God had that authority. Then we find in chapter 21 a lady named Jezebel, or should I say just a shrewd businesswoman and not a lady at all. Verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? 
He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And she wrote some letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with the seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him, that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Well, you've heard of the woman behind the man, right? Well, that's Jezebel. Ahab was really nothing without her. She was the woman behind the man, and Ahab was a whiner. Naboth, a resident of Israel, he just won't release his garden to Ahab. So Ahab sulks an earshot of Jezebel. No problem for a mover and shaker like Jezebel, though. She has Naboth framed by a couple of scoundrels. The King James Version calls them sons of Belial. We'll tell you about that in just a few moments. And subsequently, Naboth is stoned to death by his own townspeople for a crime that he did not commit, which was blaspheming God and the king, just so Ahab could have his garden. Jezebel was a ruthless woman, I think you'll agree. Do you still wonder why mamas don't name their little girls Jezebel? Now, let me tell you about that sons of Belial term in verse 10. While the King James Version frequently transliterates the Hebrew word Belial as a proper name, in fact, it's a general Hebrew word meaning worthless or wicked. Seeing it capitalized like it is in the King James Version might give you the impression that it was the name of a pagan god, but it wasn't. Now, the New King James Version, as you saw, translates it as scoundrels. Then uh, enter Elijah. He gets a tough assignment in chapter 21, beginning in verse 17. Verse 17, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. 
I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness on the side of the Lord, because Jezebel his wife stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was, when Ahab heard those words, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Well, for a prophet of God, when times are good, they're real good. But when they're bad, well, well, you know. And times are really bad in Israel right now. Elijah gets his assignment from God. And this assignment is go confront King Ahab because of the death of Naboth. And just look at how this charming couple was described in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, where there it says, But there was no one like Ahab who sowed himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel his wife stirred him up. It looks as though Ahab still holds the record for wickedness. King Ahab sees Elijah and refers to him as my enemy. Ahab is evil. He very evil. But nothing compared to his charming wife Jezebel. Elijah's prophecy against this dynamic evil duo features dogs. That's right, dogs. First of all, dogs will lick up the blood from King Ahab's dead body at the very site where Naboth had been stoned. And dogs will actually eat Jezebel. By the way, that happens to Jezebel in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 30 to 37, and to Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 38. But wait, there's more. Ahab's dynasty over Israel will end no royal posterity for his lineage. Ahab gets scared and repents. Subsequently, God defers his judgment on him. It had now happened to his son. Ahab's dynasty will end, and it does at the death of his son in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Charles Ryrie in Ryrie's Study Bible makes an interesting point here. Ahab's repentance was not accompanied by acts such as restoring Naboth's vineyard to his family or tearing down the altars to Baal. That would prove it was genuine. That's the end of the quote. Incidentally, Elijah's promise to Ahab that all of his male descendants will be terminated, it's expressed in a very interesting way in the Hebrew text. Of modern translations, only the King James Version keeps the Hebrew phrase intact in verse 21 to describe males. Uh, that's exactly, by the way, how the Hebrew phrase identified these male heirs as translated in the King James Version. And if you want to know about that, then look at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading. Last paragraph, as a matter of fact. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.BibleTrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. 
The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.